0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by fullscale.io.
1: Welcome back hustlers. This is Andrew Morgans, your host today. I'm super excited about our guest. Um we're going to get into a lot of stuff I don't think has been on Startup Hustle before. A lot of content that will be um, fresh and I think can offer a lot of value to any founders listening, um, ways incorporated into your business. Before we get started, a quick shout out to our sponsor for today, FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now, if that's out of the way, I want to introduce you, John, say hello.
0: Hello, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having me, Andrew. This is really cool. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I was just telling John right before we got started that I've been following him um, for a while as someone that does social media really well and does social media really authentically. Um, Someone that's always had insecurity around my word choice and being understood how to um you know how to speak in a way that's taken um at an intellectual level like taken well um i grew up in a family of storytellers uh i'm i was raised by missionaries who grew up in africa and you always have evangelists and missionaries coming through and they're always telling their stories whether it's over the pulpit or you know at the dinner table topic i think is at the center of everything the topic being storytelling i think it's at the center of Business relationships, you know, family, absolutely everything. Um, how did you get into this space? Give me a little bit of background.
0: Certainly. Well, thank you for sharing that. I was not aware of that, and that is very cool. Uh, we're going to talk about storytelling today, but I just I want to before I tell my story, I will agree wholeheartedly that it is at the center of everything. So having having grown up in an evangelical household where you, you know you're proselytizing and going out and, and doing missionary work. It's important to, to know, to frame this entire conversation that every, before there was marketing and Facebook ads, before there was, there was anything like infomercials or advertising, there was storytelling. And everything that was sold was sold with the same six words. Let me tell you a story. And when I say sold, I don't just mean here is an item for which you will exchange some sort of acceptable currency. I mean sold in the way that you are buying in something, not just buying, but buying in. And the first things that were sold were ideologies, philosophies, and religion. And so that is still so important in the way that that those things are communicated. If you look at how people like Ryan Holiday teach Stoicism, it isn't simply looking at the, the the writings of Marcus Aurelius, but it's the story of Marcus Aurelius and how he implemented the strategies of stoicism and the tenets of stoicism into his life as the emperor of rome or seneca who implemented them as a slave within within the roman empire and then there's storytelling in terms of how we communicate religious stories to one another. It's, it's how it's transmitted. There are many people who are, very, I would say, like, very devout in their religion who might not be able to quote theology, but they can give you the gist of a story. Stories hold their shape fairly well, even, even when they're mistold. And that is why they have such power and such uh, real longevity and it's so important for people to be able to tell a story well certainly their story your story the the story of your life or how you came to be doing what you're doing or how you came to meet the person you're with or your business partner or whatever and then once you have mastered that to be able to take an event that happened and turn it into a story so that it's more than a memory but it becomes an experience not only for you but for the people who listen to it and with whom you share it because a great story is not simply one at which the end everyone says oh that was a great story a great story begets other stories it invites people into the conversation and the experience of the brand of the product of the person and it says let me now respond with my own story and so thank you so much for, for that introduction, and I am happy to be here and share. As far, yeah. How, that, oh, please, no, please go ahead. Abraham. No, I was like, that's
1: beautiful. And, and I honestly want to make just we, – we implemented something new on the show. If you go to at Startup Hustle on Instagram, you'll find it in the bio link. Um, but it's a way for people to share their stories about the show um, in a video review. Um, whether it's a topic you want to hear on the next podcast or it's like this really spoke to me or this, you know, this episode or this, um, this guest, uh, you know, on the show and, and share stories that, you know, as another founder, we've just implemented that. Um, so I want to make a small little plug there for anybody that's been listening. I know, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, followers all around the world. And we want to hear like your guys' stories in regards to the show. Um, I think you're going to be inspired after this episode to share more stories as well. John, keep going.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, As to how I got involved with storytelling, it really is how I I navigated my childhood. I was always into reading. Books were um, therapy for me. They were a form of escape. I grew up in in a, you know a, a tumultuous household so we're not necessarily here to talk about like my my rough upbringing uh, but things were were violent in the household and there was abuse and books were always a way that i could escape whether it was to narnia or middle earth or pern or or wherever i was always very particularly into science fiction and fantasy novels because the the dangers there wherever i was i was off journeying were somehow safer than what was happening in, in my, my own physical world. And with that also came video games, Zelda and final fantasy and the, the, the games of the day, role-playing games in particular. And from reading, I went into writing and from writing that just became storytelling. And then when I was in high school, it was something that I was doing all the time—writing stories, short stories. Uh, anytime there was an assignment in school, I would I would do the essay, and then also I'd I'd write a story about what happened. And in addition to the historical stuff, and I thought maybe I can turn this in as well for another grade. And it was always something that was there, and. I got into college, did some, some stand-up, and some improv, some acting, and ev- it was just always telling stories, always writing. Years later, when I found my way into entrepreneurship, particularly online entrepreneurship, which I entered through the fitness industry, I came in through content. I was writing articles for various magazines, and then I started writing my own blog. And the thing that always stood out was... The writing and people people love the stories. One of the first articles I ever published, this was, was a fitness blog, one of the first articles I ever published on it was this story about how I got into a battle to the death with a spider in my shower. And I told it in this sort of uh, epic battle of fantasy and and how the spider, spider transformed into first a robot and then a demon. And I quoted The Lord of the Rings. I quoted The Princess Bride. People loved it. It was like the fourth or fifth article I ever posted on my site. And so it was like the intro article, high-intensity interval training. Here's some stuff about density training, nutrition, and then the spider story. And that was in 2009. And to this day, uh, I have people... Working with me, I, I just released a course on copywriting in which there is a story component. But I released it to a very select group of people. Just from a webinar, we we have a small cohort in there of about forty-two people, and three of them referenced the spider story. So there are still people in my orbit who are purchasing products from me, uh, courses. Who, were, who read that back in 2009. So when I tell you how important it is to be able to tell stories, even if they're not related to the thing, they hold their shape and they bring people along. And now what I do is teach storytelling. It's something I've always wanted to do and I do it through workshops and I have a, a storytelling course coming up. I, I really enjoy helping people take a memory and turn it into an experience and i think that is really what a story is it's it's memory pushed outward for other people to share
1: let me let me switch gears just really quickly i want to know more more so i want your feedback on something um I had a very similar upbringing. My parents were amazing parents, but they raised me in Congo. They raised me in some very dangerous places, um, arguably some of the most dangerous places in the world at that time. And my escape was video games and books and things like that. You know, I was uh, reading before kindergarten, you know, as far as like, that was just something I did. What can you have when you're in the middle of a of a jungle. Uh, You don't have Wi Fi, you don't have internet, you don't have electricity, you just bring a lot of books. Um, And so relating to that, and I honestly hadn't thought about that until you said it. um, I remember somewhat of a make believe world I made up, but not necessarily that I was escaping into games, which has honestly made me very good at strategy online, uh, later in life and understanding algorithms and things like that, I think were those early years um, in that stuff. But I want to explain something to you. So I think that I have a communication, you know, and I know that copywriting storytelling comes through communication. We're in a time right now in 2020 where people don't have a long attention span. They do mm-hmm. if they're really interested in what you have to say. They might listen for hours and hours. But if they're just coming across content, like, you know, capturing them to, long enough to hear your story, if you're not a great storyteller, it can be difficult. Um, but for me, it's like whenever I think about uh, a memory, like let's say, a spider in the shower. Um, I see the whole story, like vividly, um, all of the detail, like almost like photographic from beginning to end. Um, and the difficult, the difficult part for me is how to communicate that um, when I don't <clears throat> see necessarily a start and a finish. And instead, I just see like all of the details. And how do I bring people along? when I need all the details, but they don't need all the details and how to filter, you know, how to filter that out. I know that's a kind of strange question, but, um, I think one of my major challenges when it comes to, to, to writing. Sure. You're, you're not alone in that challenge. The,
0: a big part of writing is to be able to give them everything they need and almost nothing that they don't. And so the question What I would suggest to you, the behavior is get it all out of your head, write everything, put it all there, and then edit out what you don't need. And so the guiding question for every section is, firstly, what am I saying? What's the core of the story? So the the concept edit is, is this anything? And then from there, it's, is what I'm saying clear? And then from there, the next piece that you start to deliver is, what do they need to know so that the thing that I'm really giving them has the most impact and is there anything in there that's slowing that down and a lot of it is realizing that what may be important to you might not be necessary for the story and you'll get better at this over time but learning what to prune out really is a practice And what I would not want you to do is avoid telling or writing stories because you feel it's going to be too bulky or too unwieldy. I would much rather you write the story and then spend time editing and taking away. And the question is always, that detail is important to me, but is it important to them? And the detail could be, there's an extra person there, and do I need to introduce them? So one of the the the, um, the exercises I give my writing students is to have them tell a story three ways. And one of the stories that everybody remembers is how you you had sex for the first time. I don't I don't like to say lose your virginity because virginity is like a weird social construct and it has all sorts of like Puritan values attached to it. But most of us remember the first time we had sex. So I ha- would have you write that story three ways. The first is. Imagine you just got home from the experience and you are typing it up in an email to your best friend. The second is write it to someone who you knew at the time, but who didn't live near you. So I I always say like your brother who's in the army. And then the third is write it as a memory right now. And these are very different things. and, And here's how. If you were writing it to your best friend, chances are that person was very involved in your life. And that person knew the the woman with whom you had sex, right? So we'll give her an imaginary name. We'll say her name is Tina. And your best friend at the time, his name was Chris. So you would just start the email with, Chris, best night ever. I just had sex with Tina. You don't need to introduce the concept of the character of Tina, right? Chris knows who Tina is. Right. If you were writing it to your brother who's away in, in the army or a college or whatever, you know, your brother... Michael, you might say, Hey, Michael, I had a really big experience tonight. I want to tell you about it. I've been dating this girl, Tina for a while. And um, she's really amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about her. And it's been going really well. Um, You know, So, you know, lead up, suffice it to say, tonight we had sex for the first time. I, you know, felt compelled to share this. This is a really big moment for me. And as your brother, or, you know, as my brother, I thought you'd want to know, but more importantly, I'm, I'm asking for some support. So in that instance, because your brother is away at school, he might not know Tina. And so you have to introduce the character of Tina and contextualize that relationship. And then if you're writing it right now, it's, When I was 17, I was dating a a girl named Tina. Uh, She was a year younger than me. We went to the same school or, you know, we, we knew each other from the church. We'd been dating for about six months and we spent our time, you know, listening to emo music and watching Dawson's Creek. And we were both really into 80s movies and loved Eddie Murphy. And... After around six months into the relationship, we decided we were ready to take the next step and we were both nervous. We had a conversation about it and we had our first sexual experience. So in that particular case, as that story, you're contextualizing the whole thing, how long you've been with Tina, because you're writing it for someone who might not know anything about you. So that exercise right there gives you some insight into how different audiences come in with a different amount of information. And whenever you're writing content online, whenever you're writing a story, you have to ask yourself, what information do they already have? What information do they need for the thing that I'm trying to tell them to have the greatest impact? And if you do that, you're able to start of, to, to sort of install a filter in your head that starts editing things out without even trying.
1: Like the difference between jumping between first and third person, you realize that you're like, I need to choose I or we and stick with it. And, you know... Um... I think that makes a lot of sense the way you explained it. I I think of video, you know, and I know that anyone can capture video, but it comes down to the the person editing it. um, That's really going to make the story come alive or not, you know, and what they choose to have in the video is whether it's going to tell a story or it's just going to be a lot of footage. Um, And I, I, to anyone listening, I did take your, I did watch the replay. um, Thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think that you touch base on this in a lot more in a lot more detail, um, but is essentially know your audience and, um, you know, are you at what process um, are you talking to them in? Right. Are you talking to them at the beginning? Do they already have a lot of knowledge? Is this someone you've already done business with and you're introducing something again to them? Um, And I think that I'm. I think that I'm almost like naturally good at talking to people and relating where they are and, you know, putting myself in their shoes and speaking to them in their language, but not at a technical level, more so just like naturally good at relating to people. Okay. Um, and so in from a business perspective, I think that I, I get hits, right? If, I, if we're going to relate it to sports, like I'm getting hits up there, um, but not necessarily seeing the ball coming, knowing what's coming at me, I'm just kind of swinging you know, um, and that's something that's exciting to me to know that, you know, you can get better at these kinds of things. And that's why I get leads from everybody that's like, I kind of have an idea and I want to get started on Amazon, or I kind of have an idea. Um, Can you help me like launch a product on Amazon all the way up to Marvel's and Robert Graham and Adidas and high, high, high level brands, Um, probably because I'm putting out content that can reach them all at different levels but you know not specifically identifying you know who i'm speaking to or or what level they're coming in yeah absolutely with with a podcast you it's generally better to have
0: a broad spread i i would imagine rather than like this is a podcast for beginner entrepreneurs and then immediately you're eliminating people but yeah i, th- I think that i mean for when you are able to connect with people on a on a personal level and you have a Sort of a, a charisma that allows people to be interested without knowing you that well it It creates a lot of opportunity. And I think in the case of someone like you, the podcast is a is a great platform to showcase that.
1: For sure. And honestly, like when I, what I was referring to is even like so my main company is Marknology. Um, we have been around six years. We help brands on Amazon. So I'm kind of an Amazon thought leader in that space. Cool. Um, and just help brands do it in a we help them storytell on Amazon through video and photos and copy and it's different than you know copywriting for a sales pitch or a, or a sales funnel or email follow-ups or things like that that's the areas i'm trying to get better in my mm. b2b in my b2b um, sure. environment. Podcasts here, really, for me, I, I don't really have any goals, honestly, other than um, interacting, meeting with other people that I wouldn't be able to outside of the podcast, um, you know, be able to build expertise around e-commerce and digital marketing and strategy. And, you know, for me, digital marketing, digital strategy is really just remixing old concepts or old you know truths like marketing concepts and sales and storytelling and just how do we bring this into 2020 you know how do we do this effectively now
0: your your um your example of video it really is it's the same right so the difference between having a lot of footage and telling a story is is understanding the medium and the editing and what what is needed versus what isn't so at the a story is a beginning middle and end it features characters conflict and resolution something you know that that is also true in books so but it's it's a completely different execution and so what you're talking about is taking all of the the fundamental things that are present in any type of marketing and now how do we do them in this digital space how do we make them specific to Amazon when we're telling stories on Amazon we have maybe eighty five words before people even, you know lose interest because that's not they're not there to read content they're there to just read about a product and it it really is how do you figure out how to use these tools differently to to leverage the outcome you want and it's a yeah it's a really good example
1: i think what's what's fun about technology and what we do is we're giving a strict template of what we're allowed to do on Amazon you know you've got seven photos a video if you're a brand you have um, you know title bullet points description you get an A plus page which is like a magazine cover um, maybe a storefront where you can have some video and fun things. Then it comes down to your product packaging, what's included in it, what's your follow-up sequence of emails. Um, you know, are you getting them into your entire e-commerce or online environment from social to web? Are you just keeping them on Amazon? You know, so helping brands navigate all of that. And you know, we have a strict area that we're allowed to storytell. And you know, one of our slogans is literally like how to help you tell your story on Amazon Um, because so many people are just like, I'm just going to take photos and put it up. And that's, you know, you build trust by telling them who you are, what you do, you know, our best resulting products that are getting like, you know, 40% conversion rates are ones where the founders are like on the pages, like saying, this is the products we've made. This is why we think they're great for you. This is how they can help your life. You know, it has some structure kind of to what they're doing, um, and understanding that I guess I wouldn't have, I didn't start here, but I'm arriving here, you know, and understanding that, like, if we can really tell the story of this brand, even in an Amazon engagement, um, from the moment they find us on Amazon to the moment they get the package, to the moment they review it, to the moment they share on social media or, you know, become a customer, um, then we're doing what a whole lot of people aren't focused on and a whole lot of people aren't doing, um. Yeah, so I mean that's why I've been follow it's why I've been a follower, you know, and they don't directly relate to Amazon. There's that's what I do for other brands. Marknology is about getting other businesses to have us help them do that, right? Sure. And so that's really where I'm applying it to my direct business, mm. you know, um, is in that concept. But we do that in a simplified way on Amazon. Um, how to do it better outside. And I think that there's so many listeners here that don't think about their brand telling a story. And, you know, it's something I beat my head up on a wall over, like, just like, do you have a brand story? Like, you know, what are we working with? What are we trying to, if someone comes in contact with us on Amazon or Instagram or web or in person or at an event or on the shelf of a Hy-Vee grocery store, what do we want them to feel? What do we want them to think about our brand? You know, what are we telling them? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where a lot of I think that the ball is dropped in regards to digital outside of a consultant level. I think consultants do it a lot better where it's like a coach, a mentor, a consultant. Here's my story as an individual. Here's how I can help you, Um, whether it's fitness, whether it's uh, business coaching, whether it's Amazon consulting. But from a brand level, um, getting brands to do that digitally, I think ones that have been made for our time are crushing it and ones that are trying to make that migration, you know, or like evolution are struggling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be my observation as well.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's so many areas like, um, from video to the product inserts to, you know, all kinds of stuff. Have you worked with any brands? Um, you know that i've approached you and been like hey help am I, I need a brand story like can you you know can you help me storytell
0: yeah yeah I've, I've worked with um i've worked with quite a few i mean mostly what i where i work with brands is um i have been brought in to consult on um how to appeal to a different audience and so um most of the time i'm signing an nda because i'm working with with c-suite guys uh you know i i've been brought in for how do we how do we change the narrative and and the the conversation that we work that we've created a toxic work environment and so they bring me in and like how do I how do I help change that but I've worked with supplement companies and um, a couple of apparel companies to really tell the story which is how how do we want people to feel when we wear this how do we want people to feel what are they buying into how do you how do you tie this to a cause mostly it is figuring out when you need to remove the the people and focus on the the message you know uh, the the mission of the thing the people are usually important early on we started this to do xyz like the founders and then later on it's as a company we've been doing xyz and this is where we've been successful and there are very few companies that you know, if you look at the most successful companies in the world, nobody knows who started Coca-Cola. You know, like it's not it's a common knowledge, it's not a thing. So it's how how do you continue to tell the story? And so much of that right now, where I come in and advise, this it's such a strange thing. I help p- companies figure out what their narrative is going to look like based on decisions they're making with causes they do or don't support. And an example I give is, and I wasn't working with Nike, but I'm going to give the example of Nike. When Nike came out in favor of Colin Kaepernick and uh, released the ad, um, stand for something, even if it costs you everything, that got a lot of pushback, right? But ultimately, Nike in their story, in the narrative of that brand is coming down on the side of social justice and of not shooting unarmed black kids in the back. And so <clears throat> when you are making these sort of broad decisions about, about like very important things, it, it really is about how will we be remembered and how are, are we willing to sacrifice the people who don't who don't feel comfortable with that, and bring on the people who do, and it, it worked out very well for for Nike. You know, it's it's a, it's it's putting out a, a rainbow, um, Coke can during during Pride Month and all these things. It's making decisions. So for smaller companies who aren't sure, you know, they don't have the the type of funds that Nike has. I get brought on to help founders in particular, usually of, of personality driven tech companies. Um, the idea is how can I start to incorporate and, and uh, help create the, the narrative of um, alignment with my, my principles along these, these topics that are very, very fragile. Yeah, yeah, I mean they they can cause a lot if you do it wrong. You can, you know, it it's an issue. And um you obviously want to do the thing that that feels true to you. But you also don't want to just like, okay, we're just doing Black Lives Matter right now because that's the thing. It's it's how can you start incorporating this and and tell the narrative that way? And you know, how do you how we you've been taught forever not to talk about politics, religion, or sex, but these are three of the things that people most closely identify themselves with. So if you Are a person who uh, is is non-binary, and there are two companies, and one of them is 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 really not just marketing to you specifically, but acknowledging your existence. And like it's so, you know, then that's the one you're going to go with. If you if you are uh, a person who a person of color, and this is there, one brand is totally silent about many of the the issues facing um, BIPOC today, Mm -hmm. then. And then the other one is, is loudly proclaiming their support, that's a decision you make. So, in, in the in the sphere of, you know, like, really large-scale consumer goods, people, there's all sorts of um, companies who, who do market testing, and based on location, okay, well, you know, if we're in the South, maybe you can have a Coke can with a Confederate flag on it. And if you're in the North, you get the one with the rainbow. But smaller companies can't do that. And now, in the Internet, it's, it's much harder to do that, you have to take a stand. And so, I help people navigate how to uh, make that transition and, and how to work these things in. And I, you know, I gave a talk about that at uh, Amanda's Mastermind, you know, probably a, a year and a half ago. And just like, what are some small things you can start doing to show support for the causes you believe in? And uh, with, you know, you don't have to build an entire advertising campaign around it, but what, are, what can you start doing to seed that narrative and tell that story of belief? Because stories aren't just like, you know, beginning, middle, and start to finish. There's, there's a through line, particularly with a brand in the narrative of, what what is important to us, and identifying that and figuring out how to work it in—that's that's the sandbox I play in.
1: No, I love it. Um, I just went through an accelerator uh, with Goldman Sachs and Babson uh, in Boston, and it was um, hammering on the same thing uh, as far as um, knowing your voice and your story and your mission, and making sure that it can go further than two years, you know, out. And I think that, you know, what just hit me listening to that um, was that's the issue that you have when I think that so many brands have when they're trying to scale. Okay, so a little bit away from you know the the topic at hand with you know BLm and everything going on, but in in regards to how do I take this story from me and my best friend creating a business and that's why you're getting buy in and you know everyone wants to be able to text you and call you directly to you know challenges in my own life, scaling an agency to fifteen people, which is still boutique, but enough that I'm saying, look at what we have done, look what we can do you know, look how we're helping, um, changing the narrative there. Um, If you don't have, you know, expertise in that area, it's very daunting. And you look at, um, you know, why so many businesses fail to scale. Um, Well, there's a million reasons why, you know, but I think some of it is just that narrative with which they're trying to approach it um, and not really being like, we need to completely change our messaging across everything that we do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At some point, you stop being the face and the customer needs to be
0: the face. Uh, an, an example uh, that I really love is Chubbies. They are a company who makes short shorts for men started a couple of years back. And it, this was like, a, a you know, swinging in a different direction than than cargo shorts and board shorts. And it, it started with a couple of friends from college who, you know, were like into that sort of like Southern frat, you know, we wear board shorts and polo shirts and whatever. Um, and the early marketing and emails were, it was like about them. And then at some point it was like, it can't be about us. It's about the chubbies man the cut the type of dot guy who wears chubbies and that, and they faded into the background. And now it's, you know, like obviously the fashion, the other, other companies caught on and it's, they're not the only short, short company in the in the game but they they did a really good job early on of, of grabbing market share because they had really fun branding really good ads and they were telling a story of like the kind of person who wears chubbies as opposed to here's a you know six guys or whatever it was from whatever college probably in north carolina uh where they started this thing
1: it sounds so easy but um you know, as someone going through scaling as someone going through that, it's like, wow, it's such a challenge. Um, Because your existing customer base is, you know, maybe they bought in because of who you are, Andrew Morgan's, you're an Amazon expert, Andrew Morgan's is the Amazon guy in Kansas City, you know, um, to being like, we want to be an agency of record, like an agency that has, you know, um, our own voice um, as a team. And so for me, just like some practical things has been um, creating content where I'm not the only one writing articles. I'm not the only one, um, you know, making videos or or, um, on social media. And we've had brands come to us and be like, I just like your team. I want to work with you you know and that's newer for us you know to it being like i heard of andrew morgan's so i want to talk to him you know and then you're trying to be like well i don't work directly with clients like that anymore you know i'm more from a high level strategy standpoint and all the difficulty that comes with that um i think is because of the communication complications you know between the proposal you had in the early days or when it was just you and um, hats off to the companies that realize that super early and are able to be like no, actually I want to completely change <clears throat> the messaging, you know. Um hats off to the frat guys that figured it out.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit easier with like a like a consumer good than a consulting agency. Um it's it, especially when you've built the company based on your expertise and the track record of a single person and there's the name there you know on a, a much grander scale you see uh you know like Gary Vaynerchuk when people hire vaynermedia they're not getting they're not getting Gary he's not like you know they're but they're getting people who are bought into what Gary does and and so you know it changes things and but so when they started it he had to he was making a lot of the sales doing his thing and uh being being very much involved and now they are an agency of record and people hire. VaynerMedia because VaynerMedia is good at what VaynerMedia does, not because Gary Vaynerchuk is good at what Gary Vaynerchuk
1: does. It's the um, methodology, right? Yeah, and I, I've actually – Gary has been a huge to, – to anyone that's my fan that's listening, uh, they know I've been a huge Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk fan simply because I really relate to his story. You know, um, I wouldn't say I'm not an immigrant, but I moved here when I was sixteen. So I was experiencing things in high school like as if I was just moving here and learning how to be American. Um and so I was watching like mean girls. You were Friends. Like- was, yeah, okay. That's a redheaded joke and that's not nice. But No,
0: it's because Katie Heron came from Africa in high school.
1: She was popular so that was the difference okay she was
0: hot i mean
1: you're hot girls are gonna be more popular than like dudes coming from i don't know what to tell you to be honest i give her a lot of love because there's only a few actors that kind of changed hollywood in regards to like redheads uh you know being um main actors and being like having a role where they weren't like the pimple-faced bully or like that role um and who was the other one? Ed Sheeran obviously has changed things. Julianne Moore. Yeah. Okay, um, keep going. I love the redhead love.
0: Uh, um, oh, I forget his name. He played um, – oh my god, I won't forget. He, he played Bill Weasley, the, the oldest Weasley brother in the Harry Potter series. And then he was in the Star Wars series as General Hux. Um, I'm, for, I'm forgetting his name.
1: Um I'm I'm really bad with Eddie I know, you're talking, I know you're talking about though. Well it was such a game changer in the dating world when Hollywood started making redheads like they could be sexy too. And we had like they would right. get main roles. Um I know you you're a a buff on this kind of stuff, so you must know. But um, you know, I don't know where we we're going before that. Uh,
0: You when you you said you idolized Gary
1: Vaynerchuk because yeah, he he moved in, you know, Eastern European, um, you know, worked super hard. Um, He started obsessing about YouTube before anyone bought into it, you know, went all in on YouTube and then, you know, built his dad's business. um, And then was like, I'm going to create an agency around all the stuff I learned, you know, and for me, that's been kind of pioneering the Amazon space. There's Amazon agencies now and different things. But when I was getting into it and obsessing about it there wasn't any kind of uh there weren't a lot of people doing it at least there wasn't a lot of talk about it a lot of marketing about it and that was a story that i could relate to you know and it was like ooh. and then he became and he created an agency around the thing that he learned you know building it for someone else's business and then has created this other thing that was the only model i really had that i was like you know, trying to follow what he did. Um, but I do feel like he's kind of going back to that with you know, he launched the um empathy wines, right? And and in my opinion, you tell me what you think, but he is, I think he was performing an experiment, and he just got his exit, but performing an experiment on his own brand again, personal brand um to launch an entire product line um without the traditional marketing like you know the collaborations the billboards the social media marketing all that he did it strictly off of personal brand to be able to in his other companies like vayner sports and some of the other ones where he has you know like hip-hop artists and professional athletes and um being able to show them what how you can bring valuation to a personal brand and how a personal brand if done right can can alone launch brands and make them successful outside of team agency brand um i think he's doing some of that i think he did it like empathy wines was an experiment um so that he can then pitch it to to other people and kind of coming back to the outside the agency using personal brand uh We'll we'll see it play out, but I I kind of think that that's kind of where he's A B testing, where he's having some fun right now, um, and seeing what personal brand, um, you know, like you you have a strong personal brand, Amanda has a strong personal brand. How can you can you successfully launch a product, um, or a brand strictly off the power of that?
0: Yeah, I think your audience has to be really big in addition to just having a you know the strength of the brand is is really a measure of uh, the the relationship with the customer and that but then the the scale of the brand has to be has to be pretty big because you know in in the case of someone like me you know my email list of seventy thousand, and then you know like 25k on on instagram that's you know they're they're responsive and they but that customer base isn't I'd have to find something that every single one of them wanted for it to be profitable, right? And then to to scale and grow from there. Wine is interesting because it's a consumable that people buy over and over and over again. You know, we we saw George Clooney do it with uh, Casamigos, and then Ryan Reynolds is doing it with Aviation Gin. That's that's not a, a a place most people can can play in, right? To just like get in and start like just start a, a liquor company. And, you know, alcohol is a is a really um, is volatile.
1: But a hip hop artist or an NBA athlete or a wide receiver would start because in this area, they have that following, that kind of buyership. And if they start early enough, by the time they exit sports or whatever, they can monetize these brands quickly and effectively with that kind of following. Right. That would would be the ideal. I think
0: a big think part of that as a brand narrative guy what they would need to do is um start throwing around some money in angel investments to establish themselves as entrepreneurs because establishing yourself as an entrepreneur who invests in entrepreneurs makes you more interesting as an athlete or or you know a media guy or you know like let's say a musician rather than just like i'm a musician and like i'm just going to start a vodka company you know like seeding the narrative of i'm doing i like invest in other businesses and i'm doing you know and and making it a little bit more uh, granular in the way that you lead up to it, will probably be more successful for most people. So, you also have to then pump the content around it, and not just start the company and then let somebody else run with it. But you've got to be, not just like tweeting out pictures of you holding your vodka, but really discuss in a in a real way this is what it's like running this company i'm excited to be doing it these are the triumphs these are the travails and and really like creating the narrative of you as an entrepreneur not just a guy with a lot of money or a woman with a lot of money who decided to create this other thing because people don't want to buy personal when personal brands people who have personal brands, when when that launches something, uh, it needs to be its own company that is sellable. It can't simply be a secondary revenue stream. No one is going to buy your secondary or tertiary, every tertiary revenue stream. The company has to live on its own, it has to be its own brand. And so, you need to be consistently investing in that in terms of content, in terms of marketing, and in terms of creating its own brand narrative, and then also making sure that that you are doing the things within within your brand narrative to make it successful if you want to have that exit.
1: Couldn't agree more. Uh, couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, it's, it's the jockey over the horse. Like, what are you betting on? You know, and if they're going to get buy-in, it's like, well, has this person done anything outside of music? Has this person done anything outside of sports? Um, but just that they're only going to have that while they're in there, um, you know, while they're in the limelight so to speak and so how to get that prepared for you know whenever they exit i think is is a interesting concept and helping them essentially um monetize it in a different way yeah you know, not just as an influencer but um as the ability to launch a brand or you know something like that it's been fun to watch at least that's what i'm watching you know i know that you like a lot of uh you know gary i think focuses on vintage brands i think that's their thing and correct me if i'm wrong but VaynerMedia, media i think brings like the champions back to life or the miracle whip back to life things yeah. like that
0: yeah they, gary's into nostalgia he believes that it is one of the most powerful forces for marketing and i believe that that is true i i contributed uh, to a book on copywriting and i wrote a little bit about nostalgia and i said nostalgia is an incredibly it's incredibly powerful because it 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 markets to this idea of the past that we have this rose-colored vision of something that probably never was but absolutely feels like it could have been and that makes it all the more powerful than something that simply existed in a crystalline way in which we we see every day and remember every day it's why every now and again pepsi rolls out like vintage you know like you know old school retro cans and you know it's like oh the 80s can nostalgia is a really really powerful thing and when you know if if you would just look at all the reboots that that happen with older cartoons and older movies there's something about having this feeling your childhood sort of repackaged and sold to you in a cool way and it can feel like exploitation if it's done wrong but the way that I think it can be done right is when you take something and make it modern without losing what it it, it felt like. Um, so there's this um, there's this company Omaze, and they they just like you you register and they do all these crazy giveaways. And one of the the things that they were giving away was a was a like a 1972 Porsche that had been completely like overhauled so like from the outside it just like looked like a green 1972 porsche whatever but the it had a tesla engine in it and it was like an electric port and i'm like that is that's it right there that's the thing that people should be trying to do how do you take the tesla engine and chassis and it's like all right it's an electric car and it's like Every you know, but now it's this. It looks like this 1972 Porsche. So what? Yeah, like the idea of, of of reviving old brands and making them better. How do you how do you put the Tesla engine in Miracle Whip? What does that look like? What does it look like? How do we we create that? And that's the stuff that I think is uh,
1: really that would be really cool to play with for sure. Have you seen the new Ford Bronco that they're rebooting? Yes, that looks great. It's awesome. I know it's It's sexy. I'm like, oh my god, give Jeep a run for their money a little
0: bit. Finally, yeah, like there's something in it, you know, something other than than the the Wrangler where you, you know, it's it's got a a drop top and you know it, it has like this
1: it's customizable school. yeah
0: and it's totally customizable you know it's like not like the, you know the Toyota FJ has the same aesthetic but you can't you can't customize can't do the drop top the you know you can't get a Land Rover Defender anywhere in the United States but so it's got it's got that thing and at the same time you go inside the Bronco and you know it's bluetooth it's it's all the things And it's new and old. It's like getting back together with an ex-girlfriend. It's both old and new at the same time. And you just hope it's better than last time, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think this nostalgia thing is going to run in my head a little bit because I I just really haven't thought about how I feel about – I don't really love vintage because as someone raised kind of – poor I have always related like old to like hand-me-down to like you know and that's how I feel something new something modern makes you feel like this is clean this is new this is mine I chose it you know it's not recycled as I get a little bit older I'm growing out of that I love vintage you know me it's like you know, like I, so I am a leather
0: jacket connoisseur. I feel like you, a man can never have too many leather jackets. I love going to consignment stores and and um, and just vintage stores and finding leather jackets and like feeling the leather jackets just get better with age. And just like looking at them, like where are this like this is like very seventies. Where what kind of parties did people wear this to? Where with you know the stories that this jacket it was part of you know like that yeah. is the stuff that
1: i it has got a story attached and that's the stuff that i really like you know what brand i was thinking about the other day that's just is like timeless doc martens yeah you know yeah. speaking of leather like you know anytime if someone sees you in doc martens like if you got some old boots you're pulled out or something someone's going to be like are those doc martens like yeah, i have a yeah. i have a pair like those you know and um it's a brand that's been been here and isn't going anywhere and continues to drop new looks and it's still classic
0: yeah it's still got you know you can get the classic aesthetic they're they're just doc martens with the bouncing souls from all the way back in the in you know the british diy punk scene and it's they you know for for some it you can have different associations for some people it's like oh that's when i went through like my my like hardcore phase and and college or that's when I was rebelling against my parents for other people. It's it is it is just nostalgic and um it's cool. Yeah, it's give a great brand. Me,
1: Give me your uh your opinion on um the champion brand. I want to know what you think as someone that gets maybe hired to create, you know, a narrative for a brand that's trying to step forward. Like I I honestly don't have any opinions on it. I've just seen them and I'm like respect what they've done, you know, to pull a brand that was, you know, being sold in pay less and, you know, locations like that, more like discount to being a brand that you just see, no matter where you go, someone's wearing something champion. Now it's like a vintage band brand reborn. Mm. What, what, how did they get there? I would love to tell you that. I don't know because you know what I get
0: it's, it's very much a sports brand, right? and i i gave up sports about 4 years ago and so i like the entire time that champion's been resurgent um i don't know but i think it was i think they just like sort of came in in a way they were trying to be reborn at right at that time when fashion was taking this weird turn toward if you pair something uh like really cheap with something expensive like it can look cool if you you know it's also there's there's like a level of fuckuativeness that I uh, I think that kind of caught on the idea that you can you can have so much outward money and success it's like it's like the anti Gucci belt the mm-hmm. idea that like I'm gonna wear this Target pay less shirt but it's it's you know it doesn't matter because everybody here already knows. And I think there was a certain sect of celebrities that started doing stuff like that. And Champion was one of the brands that got raised up and they were just in the right place at the right time for that. Um, that that would be my estimation. Okay. I, I really, that, that to me just like seems the narrative of the rebirth of those brands, but it's not something that I was paying much attention to.
1: Two questions for you. Why did you give up sports four years ago?
0: It was, uh, so I... Like Gary. So, uh, firstly, I like uh, Gary and I know each other quite. I used to train Gary. Um, he's a good friend. And like Gary, I grew up a diehard New York Jets fan. And um, there, you know, I was never a baseball guy or basketball guy, it was just football. And so, in 2013, I moved to uh, the West Coast and it was harder to watch games, just, you know, they weren't playing on as many bars and the Jets were doing terrible. And um 10 a.m. football just seems weird compared to 1 p.m. football. And then like 2015 rolled around, and I was still watching occasionally, but um they weren't the, the NFL wasn't addressing concussions the right way, and they weren't treating their players well. And the more that I wasn't actively aggressively involved in the Jets and the more just distance I had, the more I realized I was, I was happier without it. Right. Like I think sports are cool. I think it's dope for people who like it. Um, Being a diehard fan of a team that doesn't do well is nothing but anxiety. It's like a really shitty week for 16 weeks. And then everything that started to happen with social justice, I, I was always, I was always with Colin. I was always there. And I just, uh, you know, for me, the NFL—they, they, they, they will—it doesn't matter what they've said in in the past eight weeks until Roger Goodell explicitly apologizes to Colin Kaepernick and says his name and says I'm sorry and I was wrong. I will never watch another down of the NFL, and because I'm not going to watch the NFL, I'm not going to watch sports
1: because that was the only thing I watched. That's a really good answer, and it wouldn't have been what I guessed, but. Um... You know, for me, I, I, I relate like Kansas city used to watching chiefs football used to be my tie to home. I lived in Hawaii for four years. I would get up at 8am and go to the bar and with my dad and watch games, um, for a noon game at home. And, um, You know, it was when I was in Africa, I'd go to the the Marines would invite me over to their base and allow me to watch, you know, the uh, Armed Forces Network and watch some Chiefs games. And it was just like this tie to home um, that surpassed football. Yeah, of course. You know, and it was something I had to, you know, one, you need something to relate to your dad about. Right. And then uh, but then. It just got there. There became a time we were spending so much time watching sports and consuming sports. And, you know, they came out with fantasy football that was like, uh, you know, you're now you're watching everybody's game because you've got money involved in the fantasy
0: football. And And you're watching all the talking head shows and they're creating all these storylines every week to keep you engaged. And it's great marketing. They did a great job with the storytelling and the storylines. And then it's too much. You know, I could have built a business
1: in that time. You know, I feel like I. I'm I'm with you. Uh, my second question, and we can wrap it up. I want to know what's your favorite reboot, um, and let's pick a show and a brand.
0: Okay, my favorite reboot is Cobra Kai on the. Uh, well, now it just got picked up by Netflix, so it was on YouTube's premium channel, uh, YouTube Red, and so it's a reboot of the 1984 Karate Kid series, and so it's it's a, it's a continuation reboot. So there was the Karate Kid. Two, one, two, and three, featuring Daniel Larusso played by Ralph Macchio, and so then Cobra Kai picks up thirty some odd years later, and it's the same characters. And like going back to that universe and living in that world. Like they did such a great job. It's like really fantastic nostalgia. Really, they did a great job making something old new. Um, so definitely Cobra Kai.
1: And I then, haven't watched it. So oh, please, please. Do. It's like if you, if you, uh,
0: how old are you, Mask? I'm thirty-three. You're 33. So you're five years younger than me. So Karate Kid was part of your childhood, probably. Um, Although I don't know how... I grew up in Africa until I was 16. So I missed a lot. You missed a lot. It's watch the movie and then then watch the show. Um, Really fantastic. And then Brand Reboot, my favorite Brand Reboot. Honestly, I Reebok was doing a real great job. I really liked the Reebok because like it was they came in, firstly, they like partnered with CrossFit and they made themselves cool and athletic. And then they brought the classics back. And I was like, oh yeah, I like these classic 85s. And I was like, something about these shoes that my dad used to wear. They're like cool now. And it's like the crisp white sneaker. And so Reebok would, would probably have done it for me. Um the, obviously CrossFit is is in the crosshairs now. They're not a not a company that anyone and Reebok Reebok severed their their uh, ties with them. But yeah, I would say I'd say Reebok is my favorite brand reboot.
1: Yeah, well, we can't generalize a whole, you know, workout by no. the, you know, the, the, the idiot in charge, <laughs> the idiot in charge, right. Um, but it's funny that you say that I literally just bought a bear uh, bought a pair of Reeboks um, haven't had anything other than adidas or nike in regards to tennis shoes in a long time because you just do what you're you're used to but these shoes were super cool they were kind of like the vintage they're like almost like a pink mm. um you know they just wear all black and throw those on you're gonna look cool you know kind of yeah, thing sure. I, I have this like i kind of believe that these brands nike adidas reebok They're just like switching around their designers because it will be like, man, Nike's on a tear, Adidas is on a tear, Reeboks on a tear. I'm like, is there like one guy or girl that's like really good good that's just like
0: goes and crushes it? And then they get poached and then they go back and Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think at some point you you know you just you 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 hit on something and it works for a little while and then like any other trend, everyone starts doing it and you're like, eh, I don't like it anymore. And so,
1: fair enough. Well, that's that that's a great pick. one more time uh instagram handle i don't want to butcher it your last name at john
0: romanello r-o-m-a-n-i-e-l-l-o the i is silent just romanello
1: yeah if you guys liked anything on the podcast today um i just took his free webinar i haven't said this yet but i am going to take the um the mastermind or the course Uh, yeah i think it's going to be super helpful i think i missed the the early window but that's okay um I'm still gonna get involved there. I just got to uh, get signed up. And I'll let you guys know on my social and the podcast how you know what I'm learning from it It will be a lot of fun. I like to show people kind of you know, what I'm working on. Um, Where can they find you know, where can they follow you? We just talked about Instagram, where else can they find more information on on your course and and how to contact you.
0: So what I am gonna do is, um, I will make a short link. Um, So the name it's the startup hustle is the podcast, right? Correct. So what we'll do is anyone who is interested in checking out the webinar, uh, which is it's a two and a half hour masterclass on copywriting, writing sales. So if you have a product or you want to sell things on the internet, you need to write words that convince people to buy them. And that's what I teach. So I teach storytelling and copywriting. So if you want to watch the webinar, just go to com slash startup hustle replay, and that will take you directly to a place where you can you can watch that masterclass it's totally free um again tons and tons of value we got a lot of great feedback on it and if at any point you want to uh purchase the um the course just go to captivatingcopywriting.com which is a full copywriting course and put in coupon code startup hustle and uh i don't know, we'll, we'll give you it's a $1000 course we'll give you 100 bucks off and um, That way I'll know you came from here and we'd be very, very grateful for that. So just super easy.
1: You won't be disappointed. Um, I've been following this guy's content for a super long time. I feel like I know him. He's just just getting a chance to meet me, but I know we're going to have a fun time. I'm going to have a fun time in his course. Um, I'll post it in the link, post it on my Instagram so you guys will be able to find it. You don't have to. If you didn't have a pen, I'll find a way for you to get it. John, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and thanks to everybody that's been listening today
0: thank you so much for having me guys thank you so much if you enjoy the podcast please uh, reach out on Instagram screenshot and let me know what your favorite part was I'd love to know
1: awesome thank you hustlers
0: Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on Instagram see you next time
1: can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it cause no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it because no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it because no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it.